It can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. But what about those small business masterminds who succeed at making their money work harder? They do that by having a business bank account with QuickBooks Money which now earns 5% annual percentage yield. Making your money work as hard as you do, that's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. Now, from our nation's capital, this is Bloomberg Sound On. Omnibus is the best approach. I hope they're able to produce text of a bipartisan government funding bill that can pass the Senate. And an omnibus is the most balanced approach. The yeas are 71 and the nays are 19. It really does indicate uh, that Congress has become a money printing machine. Bloomberg Sound On. Politics, policy and perspective. From D.C.'s top names. I'm honored to rise for a few minutes to address this house for the final time. The best is yet to come. It has been an honor to work and serve with all of my colleagues. I'm thinking maybe we should start a post-Senate support group. Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. Congress settles in for a working weekend. Welcome to the fastest hour in politics. By themselves, an extra week to craft a budget. As we head for the final week of business on Capitol Hill, we're joined by our congressional team, Bloomberg Government's Emily Wilkins and Jack Fitzpatrick, on how the government will spend $1.7 trillion of your dollars. The Energy Department's fusion breakthrough this week may lead to a new source of clean energy, but the most immediate winner will be the military. We'll explain why in a conversation with nuclear expert Matthew Bunn from the Harvard Kennedy School. And as retiring lawmakers leave us with some important thoughts to consider, we assemble our signature panel. Bloomberg Politics contributors Rick Davis and Jeannie Shanzano will have analysis for the hour. President Biden signs the stopgap budget to keep the lights from going out tonight. Funding the government for another week, as we've told you, so budget writers can get their jobs done. This after the bill passed the Senate last night. On this vote, the yeas are 71 and the nays are 19. The 60-vote threshold having been achieved, the motion to concur is agreed to. Under the previous order, HCON Res 123 is considered agreed to and the motion to reconsider is considered made and laid upon the table. Did you get all that? So we go to December 23rd here, the new deadline, as lawmakers write, debate, and pass, that's the job at least, a $1.7 trillion government funding bill. Senator Chuck Schumer, the majority leader, says this is the best path. An omnibus is the best approach because it will ensure that our kids, our veterans, our small businesses, and our military continue to have full access to vital services and programs they depend on. And an omnibus is the most balanced approach because it would contain priorities both sides want to see. Funding for Ukraine, the ECA, the Electoral Count Act, and full implementation of CHIPS and Science, the PACT Act, and more. There it is. Republican Senate Leader Mitch McConnell, meantime, well, sounding a lot like Mitch McConnell. Listen. I hope they're able to produce text of a bipartisan government funding bill that can pass the Senate before our hard deadline next Thursday. Otherwise, I'll support pivoting next week to a short-term continuing resolution (laughs) into the new year. This is always reserving that right. Not the most likely scenario, but of course it's happened before. 
And we're lucky to have at this moment Bloomberg government's Jack Fitzpatrick and Emily Wilkins who've been steeped in this and to help us walk through the next steps here. It's great to have you both here. Happy Friday to both of you. Jack, is it possible this actually gets done early? Uh, Yeah, it's possible for it to get done early in terms of them doing the work. But I think one reason this is so last minute, aside from the fact that Congress almost always does this stuff last minute, is it's going to be a tough vote in the House. And so there's some suspicion that they are going to jam the House. And by jam the House, I mean they can only afford to lose two Democrats unless they get other Republicans on board. Kevin McCarthy's not on board. So it's going to be a really close vote in the House. And everybody has complaints about these big bills. You can find something you hate about it uh, in a $1.7 So the, they want the pressure to be on and to say, I, I think in, on a, probably a Friday vote in the mm-hmm. House, you know, if you don't vote for this, you're going to shut the government down. That's so right. even if they could do it early, I don't know if leaders necessarily want to <laughs> because they want to ramp up the pressure. So, Emily, I saw Steny Hoyer uh, on the floor last night. You cover the leadership, uh, certainly in the House. And, you know, he's talking about if we have to be here on Christmas. That's not real, though, right? The, the, this will get done on Friday. I mean, th- there's a reason that you usually see these debates happening right around this time of year. It's because yeah. lawmakers want to get home to their families. The, the stench of jet fumes is very strong in the halls of Congress around this time of year. And usually that is pressure on lawmakers to really get it done. I mean, at this point, we saw Mitch McConnell basically say it needs to be done by the 22nd or there's no Mm -hmm. deal that puts the House on notice that whatever the Senate passes, they can't make changes. They just got to go forward. I I think to a certain degree, while you see a lot of Republicans voting against spending packages like we saw with the continuing resolution this week and even Kevin McCarthy now whipping against this uh, larger omnibus spending deal, not a ton of them want to actually see the government shut down. They want Mm -hmm. to see it continue to function. They might have qualms about things within the bill. Uh, But I think at this point, uh, there is a a feeling that, you know, even though they're you know, that the pressure is on, they have a path to get it done. And there is incentive, I think, on on both sides of the aisle, regardless how people vote, uh, for everyone to get this done, go home for Christmas. Jack, will this be written uh, over the over the weekend? Will we hear on Monday or Tuesday that the actual text is ready? Yeah, it sounds like they're probably aiming for a Monday release. It, maybe it could be earlier, but again, I don't know if they want to put it out earlier to give people more time to read it and find things to complain about. But it, it does sound like they're. When I asked Susan Collins, who was one of the one of the key members in writing this, she said she expected to end up getting a deadline of sometime around the weekend, uh, the end of the weekend. So you know, putting it out at the beginning of the week gives them just enough time to say we need to get this through both chambers very quickly and they would actually still have enough time to do it. Does anything, I know we have a top line, you've got a number here, they've got to fill in the blanks, Emily. Is there anything going to be attached? You heard Chuck Schumer refer to uh, the Electoral Count Act as something you know beyond the scope of, of paying for government operations going to go along for the ride? Always. I mean, this is how Congress works, right? There are only a couple trains that leave the station. you got to get go. all your priorities on it. So a couple different things we can talk about. I think one of the most interesting things is that we saw the Senate move forward on legislation last night that would impose some restrictions on TikTok. Yeah. We know that House Speaker Nancy Pelosi is going to be is pushing for that to be included in the omnibus package. I mean, you've got a bipartisan group here that's now pushing for this, uh, which I, I think sort of speaks to the 
ability of being able to get it done. You also might see some changes and you can find out more details about this on the terminal, uh, but changes in sentencing for different types of cocaine. Right now, there's a, a uh, there's a big difference between um, powder and crack, and they're looking to sort of even out that disparity between the two, and that could be a potential item as well. Wait, Emily, I should note, shares the byline on our story about this TikTok ban. Uh, you mentioned it, so let's go there, Emily. This is not like the Donald Trump TikTok ban in America. This would ban it on basically on government phones, right? How would the ban work? What are we, what are we in for? Well, I mean, the government does, you know, they have their own networks, their own operating systems. Mm -hmm. Basically, the concern here is that China still has a hand within TikTok's parent company, ByteDance. There are concerns about the information that China would be able to access. These yeah. concerns have been around for a while, and it finally seems like there is some momentum going forward in a potential solution. We talked about the Josh Holly bill the other day. He calls this a Trojan horse. Uh, Jack, you'll still be able to keep TikTok on your phone, though, when you're roaming the halls of the Capitol, right? I, I would be allowed to. I'm not on TikTok yet. Uh, you know, uh, who knows? when if, if things really go crazy with Twitter, we'll see where I end up. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, the, you know, when you talk about unanimous support in the Senate for something, it's a fairly limited bill to just ban it from government phones. Mm -hmm. But that does reflect some IT concerns. But it, it, it's worth noting that's where the unanimous support is, not for a Donald Trump uh, style mm -hmm. TikTok ban, but for something narrowly focused on government IT infrastructure. I can't imagine there's been another moment where you've talked about Nancy Pelosi and Josh Hawley agreeing on anything, Emily Wilkins. I mean, hey, it, it's rare, but it's, you know, it's it's a magical season, right? These <laughs> yes, last minute deals, yes. lawmakers under pressure. Plus, I, I mean, we've said it before on the show, I know, but when it comes to issues about China, about national security, yep. about sort of the, the relationship between Washington and Beijing, you do see a lot of agreement across the aisle. And I think that's going to be something very interesting to watch next year when Republicans take over the House. That might still be an avenue for them to get something done for Biden to score a win and be able to really work alongside Chuck Schumer and but, but whoever the Republican speaker is potentially Kevin McCarthy. <laughs> yes, well, let's uh, let's get into that quickly. I have to ask you both about the leadership battle here. Kevin McCarthy is going to have a busy, I'm guessing, holiday season uh, as as he tries to get 218 votes. Is there anything at this point? We talked about it just yesterday, Jack, that he can promise these holdouts in the Republican caucus to vote for him. They are having a conversation about rules in the next Congress. Um, as somebody who's been covering the budget process, I, yeah. I know there's a lot of uh, there's a push by the conservatives, a pretty broad push, not even just Freedom Caucus, to be tougher on spending going forward. And there's there's a conversation about. Um, you, you know, without getting too far into the weeds, cut go, which is if you're spending new money in a mm -hmm. bill, you have to offset it with cuts somewhere else. Uh, some of those rules are things that Congress has ignored, uh, whether it's pay go or cut go, things along those lines. But, you know, talking to some conservatives like Chip Roy, it's it, it seems to be a fairly broad conversation, not only about the House rules, but about their dedication to any rules that are in place that are very, very fiscally conservative. Mm -hmm. So I know that is something that 
that plays into that leadership conversation. Uh, but you know, if, on the omnibus, the the funding bill, McCarthy has already pushed against it sure seemingly has. unsuccessfully. So he's probably not going to get a bunch of wins out of this one last major bill. It's more about uh, those rules conversations and that kind of thing looking ahead to the next Congress. You guys must have an office pool going up in the gallery, uh, Emily, right? Like how many rounds does Kevin McCarthy go on January 3rd? I mean, at this point, I've, I've asked a couple lawmakers, you know, what it would mean to go to a second or third round. And that possibility is absolutely being discussed at this point. Like, sure, McCarthy's trying to use the rules and even his really strong opposition to the omnibus. He's trying to sort of use that to look to the Freedom Caucus and say, hey, I'm, I want to reduce spending, too, just like you guys do. But let's let's turn to the math here. I mean, McCarthy can only really afford uh, to lose four or five members. And at this point, there are five members who have come come out and said that they will be posing McCarthy. They'll be with someone else. Now you have all these wonky rules about voting present and and could they do a plurality? But the baseline here is that this is a preview of things to come. Even if McCarthy does wind up eventually cinching that speaker's gavel, he is going to have to deal with these dynamics for the rest of the two years. And that's going to cause some some big issues potentially for some must-pass bills. You said it. Great to talk to you guys. Emily, thank you. Jack Fitzpatrick, thank you. Uh, Bloomberg government's finest with us here on the Friday edition of Sound On. As we assemble our panel, Rick Davis and Jeannie Shanzano, a familiar conversation from yesterday, but it's interesting uh, sometimes the difference that a day can make, Jeannie. Knowing that there's a week here, it's going to be a working weekend. You write the bill. Monday, everyone starts taking shots at this, I I can only assume. Are there sticking points that, that you're worried about? You know, there are. I mean, this is probably the most optimistic we've heard everybody on this. If they can get this out on Monday and they can, you know, start going through it, um, Mm -hmm. you know, the Senate can potentially put it on the floor uh, by Wednesday, maybe get a vote uh, by Thursday, potentially, as we know, that's Mitch McConnell's deadline. And then, as Jack said, jam it into the House on Friday and, you know, theoretically avert a shutdown. But there are things that could happen. You know, Ron Paul, Mike Lee, you know, Mike Lee wanting amendments, Ron Paul wanting to oppose an omnibus. You know, those things can happen. They could stall this thing, probably not stop it at this point. And the irony here is that this is the best thing that has happened to Kevin McCarthy in this entire, probably his entire lifetime. He cannot go into a new Congress without an omnibus. That would be Mm. the death knell for him. You have members saying he's privately cheering them on, but publicly, of course, going on Fox and saying, you know, uh, I oppose this and, you know, let's let's do the CR. But it's hogwash. He needs this done, as do all Republicans, Democrats and Americans. You're making me reminisce about the Ron Paul blimp. But of course, Rand Paul (laughs) is who you're talking about. I am talking about Um, Rand. Paul, I'm sorry. The, the blimp it runs was pretty on my cool mind. back then. Anyway, yeah. So, what do you make of that point, uh, Rick Davis? Is this the best thing that uh, that could happen to Kevin McCarthy if they they get this done, as it appears they will? Well, there there are a couple of things. One, uh, yes, he wants this done with because the last thing he wants to do is have to deal with it, and he yeah. can't guarantee he can deliver the caucus at all. Wow. Two, <clears throat> I think it's really galvanized some of the moderates around him. This opposition of these five characters who are sort of, you know, what are they calling themselves? Never McCarthy. Yes. You know, and so so there's this whole group, only Kevin OKs, and they're running <laughs> around with buttons. And these are people who have opposed him repeatedly on different events and and and, and issues throughout the last few years. So uh, maybe, maybe this is actually something that'll bring part of this caucus back together. 
Uh, but mm. look, this thing is going to happen. The uh, there'll be good things like uh, as you were talking to Emily and uh, you know the Electoral Count Act. That's, That's a gonna real positive in, huh? thing. It's you bipartisan. Know, when I wasn't sure about that, Rick. When Chuck oh. Schumer mentioned it three days ago, but well, they're actually going to get this in under the wire. More importantly, McConnell has said he's for it. And yeah. so when you got McConnell and Schumer saying yes, uh, highly likely it's that done. that's going to be done. And that's it's been quiet. It's been bipartisan, but it's going to be very effective. And that, of course, is important. Uh, Jeannie, we'll talk a little bit later about the January 6th committee. It's it's hearing set for it's hearing and vote set for Monday, along with the release of their report in the final throes of this Congress. You know, there was a time when when a lot of folks were saying in, in the debate around voting rights that this was the best that they could do, that Democrats or Republicans could get together on. And it was starting to look like it was never going to happen. But here we are with a week to go. Yeah, I think this is one of the most important pieces of legislation to come out. This is a big win and a big bipartisan win, to Rick's point. You've got Republicans and Democrats behind it because the reality is Republicans don't want to be sitting in, you know, a situation where Kamala Harris could do something like Donald Trump asked Mike Pence to do. Not that she would. Um, But, you know, nobody wants that. This law needed to badly to be rewritten and they're doing that and hopefully it gets put along, you know, this train, as Emily called it, part of this omnibus, even though it's nothing to do with the budget. That's true, but it would prevent uh, another January 6th from from happening. It's it's kind of narrow, Rick, right? There was a there was a, a desire, certainly among progressive Democrats, for a more, much more comprehensive voting rights, voting reform, voting access bill. But this will prevent a coup from taking place. Yeah, this will address the vulnerabilities that we saw, you know, on January 6th and have been well documented by the January 6th commission. Uh, and so I think, you know, this will be seen as a positive that comes out of this and, and a real victory for those who are wanting to stand up the Constitution again. Pretty important item to talk about as we spend time on this Friday with our panel. Rick Davis, Jeannie Shanzano will stay with us as we turn our attention next to the incredible breakthrough this week at the Lawrence Livermore National Laboratory. Remember, ignition could be big news for the military. This is Bloomberg. It can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. You know success when you see it, or you think you do. The people in the spotlight, athletes, actors, artists, But what about the people behind the scenes? You know, the ones who make it all happen. The lighting engineers, the sideline photographers, the caterers. They're small business masterminds. And if there's one thing they have in common, it's making their money work harder. That's why they have a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, where they are now earning a generous 5% annual percentage yield. Yes, 5% APY. Making your money work as hard as you do. That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. This week's breakthrough at the Lawrence Livermore National Laboratory stopped us in our tracks here. We talked about it on Sound On producing a nuclear fusion reaction for the first time, as Energy Secretary Jennifer Granholm announced on Tuesday. Listen. It's the first time it has ever been done in a laboratory, anywhere in the world. Simply put, this is 
one of the most impressive scientific feats of the 21st century. A BFD, as she suggested Joe Biden might say. Because with ignition comes the promise, right, of zero carbon energy. Truly clean, a clean source of power, an abundant one. But as Jill Ruby, the Undersecretary for Energy Security, said at that very same event, a couple of minutes after Secretary Granholm left the podium, the fusion breakthrough brings also a more immediate benefit. Listen. Unlocking ignition at NIF will allow us to probe the extreme conditions found at the center of nuclear explosions and address significant long-standing stewardship questions. Think about that. It's a big deal because, well, we, you know, nuclear tests don't happen any longer. We stopped doing that over 30 years ago. Underwater, in the desert, we don't do that anymore. And it makes it very difficult to maintain our nuclear arsenal. And so we wanted to learn more about this from an expert. Matthew Bunn is professor of the practice of energy, national security and foreign policy at the Harvard Kennedy School. He's been working in this field for a long time, co-principal investigator for the Belfer Center's project on managing the atom, which we've also talked about here on this program. Professor, welcome to Bloomberg. What capability does this give our military? Well, the National Ignition Facility has been doing these kinds of shots for some time. They just haven't been getting as much energy out of it as Uh they now can. With this new breakthrough, what they can do is simulate more closely the environment at the heart of a nuclear bomb. And that does contribute to our already strong ability to maintain a safe and effective nuclear stockpile. So we have 5,000 aging warheads, uh, based on what I'm reading here on the terminal. This would, would, would this ensure their proper and, and safe storage or actually impact the way they are deployed? So it has more to do with making sure that they are reliable and safe. Um, you, uh, instead of carrying out full-scale nuclear explosive tests, we test every piece and we do computer simulations of the actual nuclear blast. But uh-huh. with this tool at the National Ignition Facility, these giant lasers that blast these tiny capsules uh, containing hydrogen, um, that allows us to make sure that those computer models are actually showing us the right thing uh, at the heart of the intense temperature and pressure of a nuclear um, blast. The Energy Department is is administering a, a trillion-dollar program This is big stuff to maintain and modernize uh, the U.S. nuclear arsenal. Uh, The Livermore Lab, Lawrence Livermore Lab, obviously plays an important role here. How will that help us modernize our arsenal? Well, the trillion dollars is both the Energy Department and the Defense Department. A lot of that money is for submarines and missiles and things Uh different from the nuclear weapons themselves. Uh, But... um, This will uh, help both maintain the existing weapons, and there is, for the first time in a long time, a uh, new weapon uh, that is in development. It is new in a sense, but the nuclear parts of it are based on things we already tested 
long ago when full-scale nuclear tests were still being done. So it's within the envelope of things that we know for sure will work. Knowing there's a test ban, a voluntary one, but a test ban, what advantage does this give the U.S. over other nuclearized nations, or at least those with nuclear weapons? Well, there have been uh, a number of complaints from other countries that not only the National Ignition Facility, but our advanced computing capabilities uh, and some of the other advanced uh, experimental facilities that we use for the stockpile stewardship program make us better able to maintain our arsenal to explore the possibility of new weapons uh, than is true for other countries. So uh, you could argue it does give us a leg up, but fundamentally nuclear weapons, terrible explosive power is a great equalizer and we don't really have any chance for getting a real advantage over, for example, Russia or China, just because anybody with a modest number of survivable nuclear weapons has a a terrible threat that they can wield. Fascinating. This is why we wanted to speak with uh, Matthew Bunn. Matthew, thank you for being with us. A professor of the practice of energy, national security and foreign policy at the Harvard Kennedy School. I want to hear from the panel on this, not so much on the science behind it as we're rejoined by Jeannie Shanzano and Rick Davis, but the, the context here and the timing of this conversation, it's not lost on us, Rick, that this announcement, the fusion breakthrough happened December 5th. The announcement was this week. And it all came as President Vladimir Putin uh, is is bragging about Russia's uh, ability to defend itself and and threatening the use of nuclear weapons. Can we connect the dots on the timing here? You know, I don't think you can connect the dots on that because Putin's been threatening this, you know, really since the early stages of the Ukraine war. And this has been something that has been in the pipeline and development, uh, you know, as discussed for mm-hmm. for many years right and and what they've done is they've just been able to uh create um you know a little more uh i would say efficient uh, uh progress in this in this experiment so uh it's not like this is just it's a breakthrough uh but it's not a new uh kind of experiment they've been working on this for a long time i would say it does come at a time in nuclear weapon development where the russians are increasing their arsenal and the mm-hmm. chinese have invested heavily in the development of their nuclear weapons. Uh, and, and the Chinese are the new player on the block who could potentially exceed the threat of Russia in a very short period of time. Marvin Adams, uh, Jeannie, the Deputy Ad, uh, uh, Administration of Defense Programmer at the National Nuclear Security Administration, the, the NNSA that we were hearing them talk about, says this underpins the credibility of our nuclear deterrent demonstrating world-leading expertise in weapons-relevant technologies. It sounds like jargon, but he goes on to say, in other words, we know what we're doing. There's an audience for a message like that outside of this country. Yeah, there is, particularly at this time. And I think um, it's so important that you had the professor on because, you know, when we first heard and, and where everybody was very excited about what had happened on December 5th and the announcement, a lot of the focus was on clean energy. Right. But of course, the government was saying, um, you know, maybe not as publicly, but they were certainly out there saying it. The more immediate implications were going to be military exactly in this area and that this is a particularly important 
tool as it comes to deterrence, as it comes to modern nuclear weapons, as it comes to testing. And so the military aspect of this is critically important. And to your point, a lot of our allies, and we heard this from Adams, they want to know that, as you said, we know what we are doing and mm -hmm. a successful test is going to demonstrate that to them. And of course, to your point, all of this coming at a time when Vladimir Putin is threatening a first strike nuclear doctrine, you know, when we are seeing, um, you know, essentially the ministry over in Russia say, if the U.S. sends the Patriot missiles, we've effectively become a party to the war. We're no longer in a proxy war. Not that this is going to help that immediately, but this is the environment in which all of this occurred. Mm -hmm. And against the backdrop of Iran getting ever closer to weapons grade enrichment, uh, Rick, how important is this message for Tehran? Oh, I think it's a clear signal that uh, we mean business. We're not losing our yeah. edge. We're better and, at this than you are. And and exactly. And maybe disarmament is a better option. Incredible. Great conversation. And it's one that I think we had to have before we moved on uh, to the next topic, because nobody's really talking about this side of the story. The climate side is huge, but it's going to take years, if not a couple of decades, uh, to reach that point. Uh, I've Got to just let you know that we've got some some fun stuff coming later this hour because, you know, the end of the Congress means the farewell speeches, some of them fun, some of them actually quite serious and instructive. And we're going to dig into some of the comments that we heard from the retiring, we'll call them retiring lawmakers, at least for the case of this conversation coming up ahead on Sound On. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. It's a tradition that comes with the end of any Congress, the farewell address. And we've heard quite a number of them this week. Some touching, some sad, some funny, others instructive. None got more attention this week than the farewell address by Congressman Adam Kinzinger, the Republican, of course, a member of the January 6th committee and left on an island by his own party because of his views on Donald Trump on the 2020 election on January 6th, of course. Here's Adam Kinzinger on the House floor. The Republican Party used to believe in a big tent, which welcomed the tired, the poor, the huddled masses yearning to breathe free. Now, we shelter the ignorant, the racist, who only stoke anger and hatred to those who are different than us. Pretty heavy duty. And he said a lot more than that as we reassemble the panel. Rick Davis and Jeannie Shanzano, Bloomberg Politics contributors. Uh, I know that, that you've been... Uh, You've been close to the congressman, Rick, and, and following the events of January 6th. He's been through a lot here, taking aim at his own party with some pretty harsh rhetoric on the floor. Will it matter in the end? Sure. Yeah, I think these things matter. I think the January 6th committee mattered. Uh, it helped define what happened on January 6th against all the other uh, lies and, 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 and misdirection that was given by a lot of the Republican leadership in the House. I think his participation, Liz Cheney's on that, gave it credibility yep. well beyond uh, even uh, what they expected. Uh, both their conduct were exemplary, and, and I think that we'll still be talking about the January 6th committee uh, for quite some time. So yeah. I, I think he had an impact, and I don't think we've heard the last of, uh, of Adam Kinzinger. Well, that's my question for you. I mean, this, this was a speech uh, really for the ages. It, it might have been the most important speech he ever gave. Will it? Will it be reflected upon when he's running for national office? 
Oh, I think that uh, this speech will appear in a lot of different places, uh, you know, to try and motivate and encourage people of like-minded persuasion to get involved in politics in the future. He has a very strong PAC operation that's trying to recruit people who uh, uh, actually take their oath of office seriously. And I would say one of the things that he talked about is the oath of office and and, and the, the requirement to support and defend the Constitution. And it, what's interesting to me is so many of the retiring members, both on the House and the Senate side and in both parties, mm-hmm. um, uh, talked about their oath of office and how important that is. Yeah. Um, he took aim at Democrats as well, Jeannie. Let's go back to the farewell address. Congressman Adam Kinzinger, listen. Many of you have asked me, where are all the good Republicans? Over the past two years, Democratic leadership had the opportunity to stand above the fray. Instead, they poured millions of dollars into the campaigns of MAGA Republicans. The same candidates President Biden called a national security threat to ensure these good Republicans did not make it out of their respective primaries. This is no longer politics as usual. This is not a game. If you keep stoking the fire, you can't point the fingers when our great experiment goes up in flames. It's been interesting to me, Jeannie, to to watch Democrats warm up to Adam Kinzinger to warm up to Liz Cheney, almost as if we, you know, there was there was almost a, an embrace. Why don't you guys just become Democrats, knowing that they actually disagree on basically every point of policy? Will Democrats listen to Adam Kinzinger now? You know, if, if you go back five years, the idea that Democrats would be embracing Liz Cheney to any extent it's is sort absurd. of un- yeah. a- absurd, unfathomable. You can't even imagine it. And yet here we are. Um, the, you know, I, I think they will listen to him. They will listen to her on these issues. And he does make a really important point about what Democrats did in this election cycle by supporting these uh, Trumpian uh, far right candidates in the hopes they would be easier to beat. And of course, they did they did pay off uh, for Democrats in a place potentially like New Hampshire. So, you know, it's a win. So it's a hard case to make to them. But, you know, one of the challenges I have with with his speech to you know, quite frankly, is that it was very long on platitudes and very short on specifics. Now, he's got this country first organization that Rick mentioned. Mm-hmm. He's working there. But the reality is, is, you know, for him to accuse public officials of playing politics is, you know, yes. And what? So what are you going to do about it? What are the specific reforms you want to introduce, you think should be introduced? Because you can't just hope that politicians are not going to play politics because they are, because that's how the system is designed. He had very limited things to say about systematic reform. And that was true of Toomey, true of Burr, and everybody else mm -hmm. who spoke. And that is a troubling aspect of these farewell addresses this year. Okay, look, fair point there. But I, I have to admit, Rick, if it's working, if this is working... Democrats and Republicans will do it again. If this isn't, wasn't new in this election cycle, it might have been more pronounced. But the idea of Democrats propping up MAGA candidates, knowing that they might be weaker in a general election, was a risky move. And it actually paid off in a bunch of states. So we're going to see more of that, aren't we? Uh, you may. Uh, it just depends on the leadership of the party and the party committees Whether and it's the decisions they not. make on where to use their money, right? Everything is a everything is a strategic decision on where to put money. I would say it, maybe it's a wake-up call to Republicans uh, who manage these committees, like in the Senate, uh, where we didn't actually get involved in primaries. I mean, isn't it ironic that the Republican Party doesn't care who they nominate, but the Democrats do? I mean, <laughs> does that make any sense to you? 
So it's going to be an ongoing practice then, Jeannie, right? I mean, what's 24 going to look like with this? Yeah, that's the danger. I mean, I was listening to James Carville say, you know, this worked. Do it more. Um, You can't begrudge people for doing something which they're going to win doing. So the reality is you've got to find another way if you want to disincentivize this behavior. It's not enough. It's it's a start to call people out. But in politics, let us all agree that's not going to be enough if you win doing the exact thing. You're going to keep doing it. And Democrats will. And I think Republicans will try it as well. They've done it in the past. They'll try it again. Well, Adam Kinzinger isn't done yet. He's got another uh, hearing. Uh, the January 6th committee is going to hold a hearing on Monday. It's going to be a pretty big deal as they, they're they going to vote uh, 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 reportedly on, on urging charges against Donald Trump. They're going to vote on issuing a final report. And then they will ask the DOJ, if, if the vote goes through, I'm assuming it will, to pursue at least two criminal charges against Donald Trump. Uh, the timing here, my gosh, this, this is going to be the last week that any of this could happen here, Rick. Is that good timing or just the fact that they're, they're finally getting a report out or is it too late to make a difference? Uh, I, I don't know if it's too late to make a difference. It is the very end of their their line, right? I mean, when this panel was empowered, I remember talking to people like uh, Congressman Kinzinger who said, oh, yeah, we're going to wrap this thing up in August. Well, they're <laughs> well off that August mark. Yeah. And and so uh, and I think that was probably their strategy was get this report written and their conclusions drawn before the election. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're well past that. Uh, obviously, there were a lot of things that were even coming uh, out in the public uh, domain that nobody knew about even uh, back in August. So sure. they took advantage of that. But, uh, yeah, this this will be talked about next year. Uh, a lot of people are going to be spending the Christmas holidays reading it. Uh, and uh, and I'm sure the Justice Department will take whatever recommendations that they make and, and take them seriously. What's more important, Jeannie, the report to, to at last be issued or referring the former president uh, for criminal charges? You know, it's a hard choice. I think um, historically it's going to be this report. It's going to be yeah. a thorough report. This probably goes down as one of the most successful c- congressional committees in modern history. And I think that will remain. I think it really surprised all of us how successful they were. We have to read the report. The uh, recommendation of the DOJ doesn't have teeth, so I don't think it's as important, although it mm-hmm. is historically important. Well, we'll be going through it at this time on Monday, of course here on Bloomberg. Rick Davis and Jeannie Shanzano, thank you as ever. Our signature panel with the best insights in the business will bring you into some of those farewell speeches ahead. This is Bloomberg. You know, it can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. Invisible struggles like stress and burnout, caregiving for a loved one, or being misunderstood. But insight, awareness, and empathy will help us better see the issues they're dealing with. And that can make us and our companies healthier, too. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. Athletes, actors, artists. But what about the people behind the scenes? You know, the ones who make it all happen. The lighting engineers, the sideline photographers, the caterers. They're small business masterminds. And if there's one thing they have in common, it's making their money work harder. That's why they have a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, where they are now earning a generous 5% annual percentage yield. Yes, 5% APY. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY.
Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. Let's hear it for posterity. Huh? Some wonderful moments this week on Capitol Hill. You may love to hate politicians. I see their approval ratings. But sometimes we are reminded that they're humans, too. Listen to former House Speaker John Boehner this week paying tribute to his former rival, Speaker Nancy Pelosi, who drove him wild, of course, when he was Speaker. And, you know, he got emotional at the unveiling of Pelosi's portrait. Listen. And the fact of the matter is no other Speaker of the House in the modern era, era, Republican or Democrat, uh... Uh, has wielded wielded the gavel with such authority or with such consistent results. Let's just say you're one tough cookie. Yeah. And then he really got into it here. And of course, you know, everyone loses it when they start talking about their kids. And he had a message for Nancy Pelosi from his daughters. Listen again. And Madam Speaker, I have to say, my girls told me, tell the Speaker... How much we admire her. She gave him a big hug. Nancy Pelosi gets up, sitting next to her husband, Paul, who's, of course, been through hell. Gets up, walked all the way across the room to give him a big hug. John Boehner and Nancy Pelosi. How about it? As we bring you the farewell addresses with some other touching moments from this week in the House and the Senate. Listen. I'm honored to rise for a few minutes uh, here, Mr. Speaker to address this House for the final time. Madam President. Senator from Pennsylvania. Madam President, I rise for the uh, customary farewell address. Happy trails to you until we meet again. To my colleagues on both sides of the aisle, it has been a privilege to have had this extraordinary opportunity to serve with you For the past 30 years, it's about learning from each other, falling down, and getting up to fight on another day. I'm so grateful to the people of Michigan's 9th District for giving me the opportunity to serve you in this way. I was a baker, a cattle auctioneer, a towboat operator, and I even drove a Zamboni. Every Sherry on Shift gave me a firsthand view of how hard people work to support their families. I hope I earned the respect of those I represented whether they were Democrats, Republicans, or neither. Whether they voted for me or would never dream of voting for me. Happy trails to you Till we meet again And I will tell you there have been some great Americans, some of the best, that have served in this chamber. So long, farewell, I'll be just saying goodnight. I hate to go But there also have been scoundrels, crooks, liars. This is the people's house. So long, farewell, I'll be just saying adieu. Adieu, adieu, to you and you and you. And I'm proud today to give this speech while some of my colleagues on the other side of the aisle are saying goodbye as well. We did a lot of good things together. So long, farewell, I'll be just saying goodbye. The best is yet to come. It has been an honor to work and serve with all of my colleagues. Madam Speaker, 
Thank you once again. Out of the tree of life, I just picked me a plum. Despite our challenges, I'm extremely bullish on America. You came along and everything started into hum. And I think my optimism is easily justified by our history. Still, it's a real good bet. The best is yet to come. I'm thinking maybe we should start a post-Senate support group. <laughs> Best is yet to come, and babe, won't that be fine? I've worked with every one of you in one way or another. Thank you for that privilege. You think you've seen the sun, but you ain't seen it shine. And Godspeed as you continue to serve your constituents and continue to carry that torch of freedom the forward. Best is yet Thank to you. come, come the day you're mine. Come the day you're mine. We'll meet you back here on Monday on the fastest hour in politics. This is Bloomberg. You know, it can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. Invisible struggles like stress and burnout, caregiving for a loved one, or being misunderstood. But insight, awareness, and empathy will help us better see the issues they're dealing with. And that can make us and our companies healthier, too. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum, powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers, and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights, and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at CarterEconomicForum.com.